Hope you're making it through our nice Texas warm heat and finding some place to be cool. For some time now, we've been uh, in a series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And last week, Chris Williams uh, taught on the topic of baptism becoming new. And I so appreciated his uh, work and his, his efforts. He's a, a young teacher um, with us, uh, not having done that a lot, uh, though he did teach high school math students. I'm not quite sure how that parallels, but it must parallel somewhat. But anyway, um, he highlighted some of the, the normal, typical kinds of things, what baptism is, why we baptize, uh, the symbolic and spiritual meanings of baptism. And then he concluded with uh, giving us an application of baptism for our entire life that I had never heard before and was personally very helped and stirred by. And then he gave us time to uh, reflect on that, which was uh, a quote from uh, Tyndale, a magnificent Christian Uh, individual back a few centuries ago who essentially said that baptism is to be a continual ongoing experience not just a one-time thing that we go into the water but on a daily basis that we need to reflect on this commitment this availability to us to die to self and to be raised into newness of life in Christ and uh, reflected uh, about that quite a bit this this past week. I was I, I, I didn't call Chris, but I did text. We chatted a little bit by text, and uh, was personally really really helped. So I, I felt like um, I wanted to sort of start with uh, the the main passage he used because I believe it will help us to transition um, into kind of a new aspect of this element of the person who work of the Holy Spirit by specifically uh, looking at various <clears throat> passages around the topic of life in Christ. What is our life in Christ? What does it mean uh, to be in Christ, to abide in Christ? And so uh, the new series is simply titled Life in Christ. Should be another slide for that, Daniel. And uh, so this week I'm going to use this time to sort of um, make a little transition, but I I pray that even as we do that, that we will be able to hear the Holy Spirit's words to us today. And, um, but before we go there, let's pray. Jesus, this um, time is all about you. And Holy Spirit, you are here to bring glory to the Father and the Son. And so we welcome you as we reflect on these words uh, from your scriptures that, of course, are, are very familiar to us, but I believe contain within them a vastness of reality that we have not yet tapped. And so I ask for you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And yet I'm reminded of Jesus' words who said, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. So 
So somehow there's a cooperation, a um, working together with you, opening our hearts, maybe more than our minds, opening our spirits to connect with you, and understandings that are at some level beyond us, but on another are here and within reach. So have your way in each of us today. Might our connection with you be grow stronger. Jesus, might we get an additional glimpse of what it means to be in you and you to be in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Romans 6... The Apostle Paul talks about the meaning of of baptism while also giving us clarity about the significance of baptism, but beyond that, its relevance for our entire lives. And so I want to start there with that passage, highlight some things, um, bring up something that we had touched on back a few months ago, and then bring it to a, a close for today. So Paul begins, uh, or I'm beginning in in verse 3, verse 1 and 2, referencing sort of, should we go on sinning? You know, like, yeah, well, Jesus died for us, we're good to go, so let's just sin, whoop it up, right? And Paul goes, absolutely not. And then he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father so we too might walk in newness of life. For since we have been united with him in a death like his we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed And we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But since we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In his sharing last week, Chris highlighted that there are these two aspects of the act of baptism. There is the baptism, which means to dip or immerse. And it includes the picture of washing and cleansing and purification. And there is also, though, the raising up, which has two meanings that I was unaware of. One, of course, means rising. The other one is awakening. I was a little startled by that. So the word that's in the text that's translated rising is also used to mean awaken, as if from sleep. All of these, of course, are used in parallel, speaking of Christ's death, burial and raising from the dead 
And Chris mentioned something else that I just really caught my attention. That is that frequently when we think about or talk about baptism, we focus on the aspect of the washing off, the getting rid of, the cleansing from sin, which is absolutely included and is important. But I think in so doing that we sometimes miss the primary metaphor, which is death and resurrection. Dying and new life. And while figurative of Christ's death and resurrection, Paul is clearly applying this fact, this action, this transaction to us. And he's speaking about our death, burial, and our raising up or awakening. And while we can be led in the metaphor to think about you know, our future physical death, a little closer for some of us than it is for others of you, probably, and we can think about life and resurrection being about the new life after we die, Paul's not really talking about that in this passage. He's not talking about the future, when we die in the future and when we are raised again. He's talking about life now. He's talking about a spiritual transaction that actually occurred through Christ's birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension. A change of historical and reality of life. It's not just a pretty metaphor. It's just not nice figurative language. He's speaking of and referencing an actual transaction, a change in the world that happened. Which leads me to slightly transition backwards. Hopefully, because you only heard it once, this will be like hearing it only the first time anyway. Um, I talked about and described the five primary theories of the atonement back on Easter, a couple of weeks around Easter. And um, I, want to, I want to highlight it again because I believe that there is some misunderstanding that we have historically had as uh, Christians in American society today. And that is a focus on certain elements of the atonement and missing some of the others. And this passage from Romans 6 is directly correlated to some of these other aspects of the theories of the atonement that we don't frequently think about. So the first three theories of the atonement, most familiar to us, focus on two of the profound truths of the atonement. That Jesus died for our sins and we have been reconciled to God. But none of those, and those are true, absolutely true, they're fundamental, they're absolutely Correct, they are true. Jesus did die for instance, and he did reconcile us to God. But that's the primary focus that we think of when we think of the atonement. What did Jesus do? Well, Jesus died on the cross for our sins and reconciled us to God, and, and we get heaven when we die. And we, I reference this quite emphatically uh, back then. But these do not take into account how Jesus' life or resurrection are a part of his work of atonement. Those theories would sort of leave us to sort of go, yeah, great, the cross was awesome. Good, good deal, we're good. I'm good now. Jesus reconciled me to God. 
I have life. Uh, uh, I have Jesus died for my sins. I get to go to heaven. Awesome. Why do we need the resurrection? What's the point of the resurrection? What's the point of our life now? Goodness gracious, if, if that's what was needed, then let's all shoot ourselves in the head and go to heaven. Not. But we live as if sometimes this life really doesn't matter. Don't we? If Jesus did it all on the cross what, and, and we can't add anything to that, then let's just get on with sinning as much as we want, which is what Romans 6, Paul's addressing. No, 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 he says. No. No, there's something right now that we're supposed to be experiencing. And, and those don't take into account at all Jesus' life. They don't take into account the relational aspect of God and humankind. This, this reconciliation that was to not only just sort of, yes, now we're open to God, but we actually have a relationship. And if those theories of the atonement are insufficient, then what they're saying is that Jesus dying for our sins, reconciling us to God, ensuring that we'll go to heaven when we die, is not all that happened through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So the fourth theory of the atonement adds to those truths this, that Jesus as fully human reverses humanity's course from disobedience to obedience. There should be, there we go, thanks. Um, See, in the garden, a choice was made, and ever since then, choices are made, and those choices typically kind of are choices towards, you know, the way we want the world to be. That which brings me meaning and purpose and fulfills my desires and makes me happy. And it's all about me. That's essentially what happened in the garden and it's what happens in life today. And we're clearly told that we can't fix that. That it was necessary for Christ to come and to when he lived his life, he reverses humanity's course, this action that had been set. He breaks it by being obedient. And he, what's theologically called Jesus' life, recapitulated or repeats or redoes all the stages of human life. And in so doing, he reverses this course of disobedience initiated by Adam. He changes history. He redoes history. And as a human being, fully God, but as a human being, he obeys. He changes the world. And Jesus, as Paul describes him as the second Adam, succeeds where Adam failed. That's this fourth aspect. Very crucial. But there's a fifth theory of the atonement described as the relational theory of the atonement that states and goes further and says through Jesus' life of sinless obedience that in him, in reality, in the transaction of God, 
humanity lived in sinless obedience. Through Jesus' death on the cross, in Him, humankind died in payment for sin. With Him and in Him. There was a physical, actual, spiritual transaction. Physical, probably not. Spiritual transaction, a a material transaction that changed. Through Jesus' resurrection, in Him, humankind was raised up into a new kind of life. This eternal kind of life. In Him, we raised from the dead. And through Jesus' glorification, Paul references this in, in Ephesians, in Him, humankind was glorified, seated at the right hand. Now, I use the term humankind because it is my theological belief that it is available to all. If any of you are familiar with the idea of limited atonement, it can't be. But anyway, let's not wander off. But it is a option that is available. So there's a participation. He did it all. We died on the cross. We lived a sinless life. We raised with Him. We are glorified with Him. But we have to come into agreement with that. Not just once. Oh yeah, I believe that. I I prayed that prayer. Yep, I got it. I'm done. I got it. I'm good. No, no, no. We have to come into agreement with that every day of our lives. And that's the point of this message this morning. Is learning to come into agreement that in Christ, all of who He was and what He did and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit are available to us, just like to Him. When Jesus lived a sinless life, fully pleasing to God, you and I and all of humanity in Him lived a sinless life, fully pleasing to God, and are to continue to do so. When Jesus died on the cross, paying the penalty for the sin of the world, you and I and all of humanity in Him died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin. In Him. Through Him. When Jesus raised from the dead, overcoming the power of death, taking on a new kind of life, a new body, an eternal kind of body, you and I and all of humanity in Him were raised from the dead, overcoming the power of death, and are to live a new kind of life, and someday will receive a new kind of body like His. Atonement is more than just representative. Jesus did that on our behalf. It's more than Christ in our place. It is a representation of life that included all of humankind. God affected the redemption and restoration of humanity in and through Jesus, the second Adam, and He altered, He changed the human situation. He broke the way it had always been and He created a new pathway. And we get to choose between those pathways, the wide one and the narrow one, that he speaks of in the Sermon on the Mount. One of the many passages uh, that I highlighted then and I highlight again that uh, kind of highlights this truth is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, also a very familiar passage. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, excuse me, uh, 2 Corinthians as in the second book, chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. And begins with 
the most crucial part of all of this, which is the love of God. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. It's not limited atonement. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we do not regard anyone from a human point of view, which we do every day. That's how we relate, from a human point of view. That's probably my phone that probably needs to be shut off. Sorry about that. Isn't that a nice dial? It's a soundtrack theme. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. No one. We regard no one. No one from a human point of view. Why? Because the world was changed. Reality was changed by the act of Christ. His birth, His death, His resurrection. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know Him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. That's not a, I hope so, nice fairy tale. Hope that will come to pass someday. Maybe it will be true in my life. Maybe it will be true in yours. I don't know. No. Everything old passed away. This is not figurative. This is not a metaphor. Everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself in Christ and has given us then this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. Our life is not just about us. There is a purpose to the work of Christ, to the life of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ, and that we are to participate in His life, in Him, and He in us. Our life is not our own. We no longer are to live for ourselves. Yes, we need to go to work every day, and we need to fill our cars with gasoline, and we need to eat some meals and, you know, go about our business. But that's not life. That are so, that's some of the tasks that we have. We are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making His appeal through us, we entreat you, Paul, entreats you and I on behalf of Christ, first to be reconciled to God, to live out from that place that that really happened. Our lives are not to be about sin management. Oh my gosh, I really need to stop sinning so much. It's not even really about, well gosh, I just really need to kind of be nicer to people. 
It's about being like Christ in all things. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, having the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to live the very life that Jesus lived. Everything Jesus did was done as an ambassador for God. Establishing the kingdom, declaring the availability of the kingdom, demonstrating the kingdom, demonstrating this new life, this eternal kind of life that's available to everyone if they will accept it. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is his righteousness? It's one word. Kevin, what is God's righteousness? love it's love that's that's God's righteousness seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness both to experience it to know it to embrace it to welcome it and then to be those who dispense it to others it's all about love it's all about God we were meeting on Wednesday night as a board we do this as much as we can on Wednesday nights and we are wrestling through this um, process of, of, of hearing God's voice and, and wrestling with what does it mean for this little local church to express this narrative that we feel God has given to us, that we are a part of the great family of God and that uh, we are part of the great family of God. I need help. Gosh, is it experiencing? No. Seeking. Thank you. Thank you, board members. Thank you, everyone. Seeking to become like Jesus in all things, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? And we were looking at a, a, a passage of Scripture. Um, Colossians, Galatians. And it was talking about, talking about Christ. I'm just off. It's not in my notes. I'm trying to do the... And everywhere where it spoke of Christ in this passage... Um, Donna's sense was, you know, if we were to insert the word love there, it would make almost more sense. You might try that sometime. Every time you read your Bible and you see the word Christ or God, insert love. See what how it sounds. Just a side note idea. Thank you, Donna, for that. I share this all again because I, I want to help us grasp and understand what Paul is saying here in Romans 6 that we've been looking at this morning. When Paul says we have been buried with Christ by baptism into his death, he means that in Christ we died and were buried. That's what he means. You can say the words with me. I have died with Christ. Say the words. I have died with Christ. And I have raised with him. Really? Did you really? Do you live that way? Or is it just a declaration? A declaration of truth, absolutely. When Paul says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, so we too might walk in newness of life, he means that in Christ we have been raised from the dead 
to walk in a new kind of life. Now. Today. Tomorrow. These statements are not figurative. They're not speaking of after we die and go to heaven. They're declarations of reality that is so. And that God intends for us now, in this current life, we're now living. Look at two, two more of the verses from the Romans passage. As we have been united with him in a death like his, he will certainly be with, we will certainly be with him in a resurrection like his. The word translated united in this statement is the Greek word sumphutos. And it can mean planted together, grow together, engrafted, one or intimate union. And I've got a picture here of a grapevine. And it's, it's not as clear. It's really hard finding uh, a picture that would adequately show it. But the stalk are these two arms that are going out here and the one over there that come down into this this single trunk. But all those other branches were grafted in. A very, very common process in, in, in grape. Funny, Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Interesting. Paul talks about grafting. Listen to this description of grafting from good old Wikipedia, which is always true. Uh, Grafting is a horticultural technique whereby tissues of plants are joined so as to continue their growth together. The upper part of the combined plant is called the scion, scion, while a master's in, uh, in horticulture there, whatever she has, awesome, thank you. The lower part is called the rootstock, actually, is what Wiki said. Anyway, we'll have to fix it and just call it stock or something. Then you might think of soup, I don't know. The success, the success of this joining requires that the vascular tissues grow together. In most cases, one plant is selected for its strength and ability to withstand hardship and is the rootstock. The other plant is selected for its stems, leaves, flowers, and fruit. May I suggest that we have been grafted to Christ to be beautiful and to produce glorious fruit for Him. And the thing that amazes me so much, all the pictures show this, this one actually not so much. The rootstock was cut. It was stopped. And new branches, new scions were implanted and the tissues grew. And they have to be of similar DNA. You can graft multiple different kinds of fruit to, of, of apples to an apple stalk, but you can't put a plum on an apple stalk. They have to be similar in DNA. Jesus became human. He took on our DNA. 
He couldn't have just been God and graft us in. He had to become flesh. But He was cut off. It's exactly the word that Isaiah says. He was cut off. That we might have new life. That we might produce glorious, beautiful fruit and great grape clusters. You ever catch that from Romans 6 before? I hadn't. Verse 5. We know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Now hang on. Everybody hold on. Grab your seats. Way too frequently we've gotten caught in a tradition of sin management, trying to deal with the problem of sin. And when we do that, we're really a lot like the walking dead. Our old self is dead, but we're still walking around, doing what we do. When what we should be is the walking living. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Romans 6.4 In and through Jesus, new life is available to us. The old has passed. The new has come. The new life is at hand. It's within reach. It's attainable. But it's going to require dying with Christ dying to our old self to be raised up in new life to no longer live for ourselves but to live for him who died and was raised for us and an image that came to mind you know where do we have images or pictures of what in the world this could look like well, we got the walking dead that that's a, that's quite a picture and when I was thinking about our need to die to our old self and embrace the new, new, what came to mind was a picture from the movie Avatar, which Claire and I really like. You don't have to watch it. It's fine. And there's a point in the movie near the end where Jake Sully transitions from his broken earthly body. He was, he was, a, a, he was paralyzed, couldn't walk. And had been given this opportunity to have this new Navi body. But it required technology. Oh, you can't really see that. Anyway, he's down there. The, the Navi body is on the left. And his earthly body is on the right. And, and with the, the life of nature there, he transitions from this body. And his consciousness becomes complete in the new. Okay, it's not really good. It's sci-fi. But something like that has happened. Something in reality changed in the birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, glorification of Jesus Christ that changed history and changed the opportunity of our lives. And so... We're going to try and... What does this look like? What, what does it mean? How do we do this? What does it look like to see the old self die and the new self, the new life in Christ lived out? 
I love uh, Paul's example of intentionality in Philippians 3. For a long, long, long time, I had this whole passage memorized. I'm not going to try and do it now. But it was, it's been a powerful passage for me throughout my adult life. And remember well many parts of it, and they will often come to my mind when I think about what does it mean to live this kind of life in Christ. And I think this is a beautiful picture of, this, of what Paul is describing as a dying to self and a living for Christ. Philippians 3, 7-14. Whatever gain I had accumulated in religious activities or worldly treasures, I have come to regard as loss because of Jesus. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, dung, manure, waste product, garbage. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, but the righteousness of God based on my own being on religious duty, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, love, that depends on faith. It's not out of works. It's not out of, we grunt it out. No, it's a righteousness imputed to us, love. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection right now, Paul says, right now, that I may know Him and know the power of His resurrection, that I might share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead today. That if possible, I may attain today this new life in Christ. Not a resurrection someday when I die. Paul's theology is the same all the way throughout his books. That if possible, I may attain the empowering resurrected life. Read Ephesians chapter 2. It's all the same there. Not that I have already obtained this. He's still in process. He's in a journey just like us. Or am I already teleos, whole and complete, perfect, bad word, but I press on to make it my own. What does Paul do? It's not his yet. He's not there yet. I'm not there yet. Anybody there yet? Okay, don't raise any hands. How many would like to be there? No, just don't raise your hands. We would like that. And here's what Paul does. He's not there yet. He's on a journey. Not that I have already obtained this or am already teleos, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus has made me His own. He has made us His own. Therefore, we have the goods to walk out this new life. I do not consider that I have already made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting the old life, forgetting what lies behind, And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. And the heavenly call is not a call to life after death, although that we get that too, it's bonus. 
The heavenly call is to the kingdom eternal life now of knowing God, of living an eternal kind of life, free from the entanglements of this world. But we have to lay them down. We have to consider them as loss. We have to consider them as garbage. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. My invitation to you this morning. Jesus has made us his own. We have been changed. A transaction has been made. We are new creatures. We are new creations. Let's live like it. Let's walk it out. Let's no longer walk according to the flesh, but to walk according to the Spirit. So my invitation to me and to you this morning is to begin to live daily, even as Chris's invitation to us last week, that we would live in a continual life of baptism, of dying to self, dying to wanting the world the way I want it, dying to becoming upset and distressed when people thwart our goals and objectives, including technology, and live the very life of Christ that we have been called to be ambassadors, bringing the good news, the good news of new life in Christ, of a transformation of life, His rootstock to support our life, grafted into Him and producing the kind of fruit that He produced. Let's pray. I'm going to simply invite us on our own for a moment to reflect and to respond to God's invitation to you this morning. What might the Holy Spirit be asking of you? Let's take a moment to ask Him that. Holy Spirit, what are, what are you wanting? What is your invitation to me today? And when you sense that, would you come into agreement with Him? And invite his empowering presence to help you to fulfill that. Thank you, Jesus. For offering yourself to mediate and to change history. To become a, a rootstock. that we could be grafted into and from which we receive your very life infused into us to where Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me.
Christ who is my rootstock. Papa, thank you for your love. Your eternal, unending, broad, high, long, wide, bigger than anything we can imagine, love. And Holy Spirit, we look for your life. We look for you to be the flow of life from Jesus himself into us. That as you were his empowering presence, enabling him to be and do what the Father had called him to be and do, that so you are for us as well. And might you help us, like Paul, recognizing that we're not there yet, make an intentional decision and choice to press on to make it our own. To embrace this new life, this life in your kingdom, this eternal kind of life in which we live and move and have our being. And live out this Jesus life in our day-to-day lives. In Jesus' name. Thanks for being with us. Uh, some of the folks would like to be available to pray. We can do that up here. We'd love an opportunity to connect with you in ways that we might be able to partner with you as you partner with God and in, in unto these things. Um, so if some of you would love to pray for folks, come on up. And if any of you would like prayer, we'll be up here. Have a great week.